Thank you, Jeff. Jesus gets in a lot of trouble, doesn't he? As he is just seeking to obey his Father. It's interesting how people respond in day-by-day living. As we interact with a portion of Mark's gospel this morning, let's take a moment in silence and you can share with the Lord your desire to be open and sensitive to the ministry of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we know that Christ was very controversial as he lived on this earth, but it became very obvious because of your own testimony about him and also because of what he revealed about himself, that he was the Christ. As we reflect on Christ this morning, we're open to grasping a little more fully who he was and his, his character, his identity, and his being, and how that should apply to the way we live. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Looking for some response, I'd like for you to think about a circumstance in which you like someone to show compassion or to actually touch you. A circumstance that you may get through where you like to be shown compassion or you like someone to touch you. And for starters, I will share something that Ruthann has mentioned to me. She said, if I'm ever in the hospital and I'm not doing well, make sure you touch me. You know, she's laying there not doing well. She would want to be touched. Circumstance in which you think it would be good to have someone touch you or to be shown compassion. Pardon? At the loss of a loved one. Someone else. Birth of a child? Okay. Birth of a child? When you really blew it, you failed miserably. Anyone else? It could be all our friends. All our friends. Okay, friendly, just caring for one another. Yeah. Do you ever see someone who may have the gift of mercy and encouragement respond to someone in the midst of going through something? <clears throat> Excuse me, how they reach out how they care, and how they know how to respond. And many times that involves touch. I've observed mothers, observing my own wife also, when a baby is sick, how a mother will cuddle and hold the baby and pick the baby up and try to comfort the baby and so on. And all of that involves touch. Apparently touch is important. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, 22. Mark 8 and verse 22, reading together. Mark 8 and verse 22. And the events in this passage are taking place in Bethsaida. And if we can get our map up here, 
We'll show where that is taking place before we read the passage. This is a picture of the Mideast, a time when Christ would have ministered. The town in which Christ would have ministered would have been right about there, just to the east of the Jordan River coming into the Sea of Galilee. Mark 8 and 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. As we think about scripture, scripture appears in a context. And as we look at the flow of Mark chapter 8, we will find in Mark 7, 31 through 39, that Jesus healed a deaf and a mute man. Verse 32 says of chapter 7, Then the people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hand on him. Now you will see there in Mark 7, they were begging to place his hand on. In Mark chapter 8, we find that Jesus does the same thing. It is assumed that touch has a profound impact. And that came from some beliefs that would have been in history, but also comes from Jesus' ministry. So Mark 7, 31 through 37, we have the healing of the deaf mute man. We find the emphasis is on the character of Jesus. And that is seen in his being able to heal. We go to Mark 8, 1 through 10, we find Jesus feeding the 4,000. The emphasis there is the character of Jesus in that he could feed 4,000 from seven loaves and a few small fish. <coughs> then we come to Mark chapter 8, 11 through 13, and we find that the Pharisees are testing Jesus. To test him, they ask for a sign from heaven. What we find taking place here, the emphasis is the unbelief of the Pharisees concerning the character of Jesus. They didn't believe who he was. Then we find in Mark 8, 14 through 21, the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Jesus says in verse 16, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And as we looked at that two weeks ago, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod was on belief. Herod did not believe Christ for who he was. The Pharisees didn't believe Christ for who he was. In the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, the emphasis in 14 through 21 is the temptation of the disciples to not believe because they only brought one loaf with them. And apparently they were thinking, we only have one loaf of bread, not enough. Apparently forgetting about Christ, and they were tempted to unbelief. The passage we read, we have the healing of the blind man. Here we find the character of Jesus being communicated. 
in giving sight. He did see. And there's a focus in verses 14 through 21 that the disciples were not seeing, were not understanding. When we get to 22 through 26, the man did see. Again, I think a play to drive home a point. <clears throat> and then we get to 27 through 30, which Lord willing we'll discuss next week, we find Peter's confession of Christ. He says, you are the Christ. In 14 through 21, there was unbelief, a temptation to unbelief on the part of the disciples. When we get to 27 through 30, there is belief. Thou art the Christ. There is a mover, movement to a deeper belief. And again, I want to emphasize in verses 14 through 21, the disciples were not understanding. Jesus had said, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And so on. But when we get to verses 22 through 26, the man's eyes are open. Moving from unbelief to belief. Again, please notice the touch. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. No touch is clearly involved. I'm going to ask Zach, if he would, to stand up where he is. Stand up where you are. Don't step down. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, Zach, and keep them shut. Do not open them. And I'm going to bring him up to the platform. Keep your eyes shut. Give me your hand. Okay, you got to step down now. Okay, we're going to go across here. Keep your eyes shut. How's it feel? Uh, awkward. Awkward? Just follow me. You're safe. You haven't been blind very long, have you? <laughs> okay, we're coming to step. You got that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay, come on over here and I'll park you. You're okay now. You can, you can okay. walk. Okay, now I want you to turn and face this way. Now, note, just stay there. Okay. Keep your eyes shut. Notice the text says some people brought the blind man. People are bringing him to Jesus. And they begged him, that's begged Jesus, to touch him. Again, their thinking was, if Jesus touches him, something's got to happen. So they're begging him to touch the man. He takes the blind man by the hand. I already did that. Led him where? Outside the village. Not the first time Jesus led someone outside the village to minister to heal him. In verse 33 of chapter 7, after he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus at times took people away from the crowd. Here he takes them outside the village in order to minister to him. They wanted him to touch him. And then Jesus led the man outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, 
Shall I take your glasses off, Zach? It's kind of strange, a blind man with glasses, right? <laughs> well, we can take care of that. You know, I, I'm not going to spit in your face, but it's like, you know, he spit in his eyes. Now remember, this is not the first time that ha happened. In a different way, in chapter 7 and verse 33, he took him aside away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Apparently, he spit on the man's tongue and then touched it. So here we have the blind man, for one second, Zach, who is not seen. Jesus spits into his eyes, and then what else does he do? It says, he put his hands on him. And if you look in verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. So he puts his hands on his eyes after spitting in his eyes and apparently removes them and says to the man, you can open your eyes now, Zach. I see people, or Jesus says, do you see anything? I see people, they look like trees walking around. So what does Jesus do? Once more, he puts his hands on his eyes and apparently removes them. And his eyes were open and his sight was restored. Since you're restored, you may walk back yourself. <laughs> his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. I want you to notice that Jesus spit in the man's eyes, laid his hands in the man's eyes, and then he asked, do you see anything? And the man looks up and says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. This is the only miracle in the Gospels that is not instantaneous. He spit, placed his hands on the guy is not totally healed, and then he lays his hands on his eyes again, and he's healed. Now let's look at a couple parallel passages in Mark. Go back to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. <coughs> Mark 5 and verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had put all she and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Also in Mark chapter 5. And at the end of verse 41, Jesus speaks. He says, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked about. She was 12 years old. And here he raised her from the dead. Look at Mark chapter 5. Okay, we already covered that. Mark chapter 7 and verse 29. Mark chapter 7. And verse 29. 
Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on bed and the demon gone. Jesus spoke the word, the demon was gone immediately or instantaneously. Look at verse 33. Again, he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit on and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and said with a deep sigh, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open and his tongue was loosened. And he began to speak plainly. But when we get to Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26, we find Jesus spits in the man's eyes, places his hands on him, but he still doesn't see clearly. And then Jesus does again, and he sees clearly. I am the conviction as you look at the flow of Mark chapter 8, that in verses 14 through 21, there's an emphasis on the disciples not seeing. They were tempted to the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. They were having trouble believing. And you notice in verse 17 of Mark 8, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? No, he repeatedly drives home the point that the 12 are not seeing, they're not understanding. There's unbelief, or at least some unbelief present. When we get to chapter 8, 22 through 26, in the Greek, there are eight different Greek words used for seeing in the nine places where seeing is mentioned in verses 22 through 26. The emphasis is on seeing. And then when you get to 27 through 30, when Peter says, you are the Christ, Peter understood Christ. So in 14 through 21, there's unbelief. They're not seeing. In 22 through 26, there's an emphasis on seeing. And in 27 through 30, there's an emphasis on seeing or faith. You are the Christ. There's a progression on the disciples' part. So mom belief not seeing in 14 through 21. Seeing is emphasized in 22 through 26. And 27 through 30, the disciples are now seeing Christ as who he is, the Christ. And the text would seem to indicate Jesus is trying to emphasize the unbelief of the disciples seeing another miracle, and then the disciples moving to belief. Apparently, it involves, faith involves progressing. And I'll illustrate that just a little later. The blind man initially did not see well. I see people, they look like trees walking around. 
The disciples at the end of verse 21 are not seeing well. They're being tempted to unbelief. Jesus puts his hands on the man's eyes a second time and he sees clearly. And the disciples in 27 through 30 are seeing clearly. By the gradual healing of the blind man, Jesus shows how the disciples in particular may come to faith. They have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear. But they came around, in verses 27 through 30, to what we might call full faith. Who are you? You're the Christ. What's the point of the passage? Jesus displays power. over another aspect of physical problems as well as his continued compassion. And also the flow of the text shows moving from unbelief, hardness, to belief. And that is a process. Recently I was talking to someone and as we were talking, we get into a very extended conversation on salvation. We get into the issue of, you know, if we trust in Christ, do we have the hope expectation of an eternal future with the Lord and so on? And the individual very, very clearly and boldly stated to me, I know that I've come to faith in Christ and I know that I have a relationship with God and I know that I'm going to spend an eternity with him. And I thought to myself, I've been interacting with this person for years. And any other time I'd talk to the individual, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm related to God. I'm not sure about eternity. I'm not sure that I can have assurance that I have a relationship with God. And I thought of Mark chapter 8. Waddling in unbelief, some hardness. Person going through some trials in life and comes to the point of trusting in Christ. Coming from not seeing to seeing. The disciples, hardness of heart, experience the miracle of the healing of the blind man, and then they have faith. Thou art the Christ. I think that's some of where Mark 8 is coming from. A couple applications. Display compassion to people with touch when they're going through difficulty. Not limited difficulty, but I think difficulty would be involved. I don't remember all the circumstances, but a number of years ago when Ruth Ann was in the hospital, and I know technology changes. Laying flat in her back after a stress test, her supper came, and she said, how in the world am I going to eat this? Well, I chose to feed her. And she was really, really impressed. You know, a little dribble down the side of the mouth, and well, you got to take care of that. You know, just kind of help her out. Or just a little touch along the way. 
Someone gets the news that they have cancer. I don't want to get too close to them. They have a terminal illness. How about walking up to them and giving them a nice hug? Touch. Now, this next one might be a little harder to respond to. Suppose you're talking to someone, and they say, I just came back from the doctor. And due to the lifestyle that I had before I came to Christ, I found out today that I have AIDS. Will you reach out with compassion and give that person a hug? Touch. <coughs> I've been there, done that. Think about it. Touch. Cancer may be an example, some physical trial, or maybe grief. Just touch. What did Jesus do? They brought him to Jesus. They wanted him to touch him. We don't have the same power as Christ had to heal. I understand that. So what's he do? He lays his hands on the eye, man's eyes. Still not seen clearly. He does it again. Touch. Some of the examples that we gave earlier of touch. People brought the blind man to Jesus. Apparently they thought he could help the blind man. They must have heard of his healings, his miracles. It seems the same is true today as believers follow Christ. People will see our changing lives and that we can help them to be mended. Listen as I read from 1 Thessalonians <coughs> chapter 4. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Again, the way the person lives. In 1 Peter chapter 3, saints who are going through persecution, Peter says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The way we live, other people observe. So a believing couple, and I'll give no name, seeking to love one another and relate biblically to their children according to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and so on. In their day-by-day -day living, just seeking to respond to their young children in a godly way. And a neighbor says, a couple years later, I got some problems with my kids. Can you help me? I've been watching how you respond to your children. That's what God desires. People have observed Jesus, and they said, let's take this blind man to Jesus. I haven't got trouble with my kids. I'm going to go talk to this believer over here because I've observed how they relate to their children. Maybe they can give me some help. 
some of you have been asked to make contact with someone going through a physical trial because they have observed how you respond to someone going through a physical trial. That's what's happening here with Jesus. They bring him to Jesus because they believe he can help. On the front of our bulletin, the first Sunday of each month, we have places of work. We have schools. Why do we list them? Because that's where we are to be sought, light, and ambassadors. That's where we spend a lot of time. And as we live godly, that opens doors of opportunity. Another application, accept the reality that moving from yeast, unbelief to faith, may not be instantaneous. It often involves a process in time. And keep in mind, this is the only miracle done in two stages. I think to drive home that belief or the lack of belief of the Pharaoh, or I'm sorry, the disciples in verses 14 through 21 comes around to greater belief in 27 through 30, but it involved a process. We respond to physical trials, and I trust that if you're a veteran of physical trials, that your belief is much greater now than it was five or 10 or 20 years ago because you're coming to a deeper belief. It's kind of like a JT. Dad and mom saying to JT, JT, this is what you're to do. And JT thinks I better do it or I might get some discipline. So out of a fear of discipline, he does what he's supposed to. There's some belief present. At 16, dad and mom say, JT, this is how you drive a car and how you treat a car. You got your license, now you can take the car and go where you want to go tonight. Remember that cars, our stewardship and your stewardship before God. And as JT gets in the car and drives, he thinks, you know, I want to listen to mom and dad. Not because I think they might not have driving privileges in the future if I abuse the car, but because they care for me and I respect them. That's growth in faith and how you live and how you respond. Please understand that many times we may not respond well but as God continues to work in our life and we try to be sensitive, we move from where the disciples were in 14 through 21 to where they are in 27 through 30 with that greater faith. Now close with an illustration from my own life. Years ago, <clears throat> After my surgery, probably a couple years after that, I remember sitting in the van along the river up in Forty Fort, watching two of our kids play soccer. And as I was sitting there, I just had this feeling come over me. I started to ache all over, and I started just to hurt. 
And my mind immediately went back to, well, I wonder if something's happening in my body in light of my previous surgery. And I thought, well, it'll be gone. It has always gone before. Well, the next day it was there, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. It went on for months. And my initial response was, Lord, I don't want any more. Of course, I changed my tune, <laughs> given a little time. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll surrender. That stands in contrast to about two and a half years ago when that same thing was happening in my life. And I said, okay, Lord, fine, let it come. I can't stop it. I'm ready to go home. If you take me home, great. But if not, I'm going to rejoice. So there is a growth in faith. That's part of where the flow of the context is coming from. And that is possible because of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Have you come to faith in Christ? Can you call him your Savior? Can you call God your Father? If you come to faith in Christ, are you moving from unbelief or some unbelief to greater belief in Christ and who he is? As we live in sensitivity to the Lord, then we can reach out to a lost and dying world. As we sing about that, reflect on what we have discussed from Scripture. Travis?